Welcome to the Night Shift Football Podcast. We're officially one year old, we think. We're not really entirely sure when we started. It was about a year ago. It was February 2021. So here we are, one year on, still chatting shit. Thank you for everyone that's gotten around us. Uh, another episode here. We've got a fair bit to get through tonight. Tommy's on the other end of the line. How are you doing, mate? Very well. Happy to be celebrating one year. And yes, thank you to everyone that listens to us. You're not the sole reason we do it, but it is nice to know that people do listen. It is nice. On that, I've got a little, uh, I've got a little question I want to ask you at the top here. Please. And this comes from a story that has come to my attention over the weekend. From uh, about, It's about someone who listens to this show who will rename, uh, remain nameless, shall I say, nameless. No, re- rename them. But this, <laughs> rename, nameless. This person apparently managed to get around the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, successfully pretending to be Scott Chipperfield from the Socceroos. So my question to you is, which past, present Socceroo do you think you could pull off pretending to be in public and get away with it? That's impressive. And like Scott Chipperfield is a really good answer because no one really knows what he looks like. So props, very clever. For me personally, I would identify as Ryan Grant. Um, not, you know, physi- not physically. I don't resemble him much, yep. but we've got the same characteristics, right? The only reason he's in the Socceroos is because he knows Graham Arnold. The only reason I'm on this pod is because I'm good friends with you. And so that's right. why. I see what you've done there. I see what you've done there, and I like it. I do like it. I, uh, For myself, I was just trying to consider uh, obscure names. So I I was going to go for Josip Skoko, <laughs> purely because I feel like Josip Skoko is a name. It's enough of a name for Australian fans definitely to know he existed, but not really know anything about him. What position did he play? Was he a winger? Was he a midfielder? Box to box, or did he hold it? Was he attacker? What did he do? Score the odd goal? Yep. Scored a goal against Greece at the MCG once. Yeah. What does he look like, though? No one knows. Looks like me. Not a clue. There you go. He looks nothing go. like me, but I could pull that off, I reckon, just because no one knows what the fuck Josip Skoko looks like. If I could pick one for you, I would say Miller Stajowski. Oh, my God. I said Miller Stajowski as well. Fuck off. That, wow. that is, but that, that's what you look like, and that's, yeah. I reckon what? you could easily get away with it. Yeah, for sure. You've got that hard nose, you know, Balkan look. I uh, I thought, <laughs> gee, wow. I thought, uh, I was thinking Millet, just for the uh, finishing prowess. Oh, that too. <laughs> um, Sorry. Also, just a short, fat Josh Kennedy, because I have long hair. <laughs> you have been referred to as Jesus in your time, yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. All right. That'll do with that crap. <laughs> How about we talk about some other crap? And that crap would be the current batch of, that's uh, harsh, the current batch of Socceroos. Maybe they're not all crap, but yeah. they definitely play some crap football. <laughs> and a two-all draw away to Amman, pretty much, almost, definitely, probably, perhaps, seals the fact that we'll have to go through playoffs now. Could you see us beating Japan and Saudi Arabia? I cannot. No, there's no chance. I can't see us getting a point out of either of these games because 
obviously the Saudis are on song to win this group, which maybe is a surprise to some people, but it should not be a surprise to Asian football followers. This is a nation that has been investing heavily into this side and they have maintained a squad. You know, it's almost a golden generation for them. So they are, you know, 100% deserved of their top spot. Japan have faltered. They're bringing in new players. We saw them, you know, hit and miss early on in the group, but they have come strong now. They've got a good group of 17 or 18 that they pick every time now. We're not up to this standard. And, you know, like you, you addressed it then, are the players good enough? You know, maybe, I think, I don't know. Are we biased? I think that maybe yeah, should well, be good enough. You know, there's definitely a conversation to be had about, um, I think you mentioned it to me the other night, maybe, about, there's definitely plenty of Socceroos that are they're playing good football for their clubs, but they come together for the Socceroos and Arnie can't get it to work. But then the other side of that argument as well is those players that are playing well for their clubs are still not playing for clubs at a very high level. Mm. I, d- I, don't, I don't buy into that so much because you look at the opposition that we're playing at the moment, and you would grade where they're playing as not high level either predominantly. True. But are they of a better, you know, are they of a better curriculum of footballing coaching over the last 10 years? Yes, they are. Hell yeah, they are. You know, Japan put in a 40-year plan when they started to falter, and they are achieving beyond what their plan has already set out to be. And we don't have anything like that. No. We, um, I wrote about it last week. We were just... I don't know where we go. Arnie, for me, should be uh, gone as soon as this group stage is done. I'd be looking at trying to get, um, you know, caveat that with should we not automatically qualify. I think even if we were to go through the uh, playoffs, I'd be looking at getting in a short-term um, quick fix international name, a la Goose Hitting style, uh, just to come in for the playoffs get us to the World Cup, take us to the World Cup. And in that time, in the time frame of this year, while that's happening, um, they can be on the search and looking at things to do. Like, because this, all of the, a lot of this all comes back to the, it's just called Football Australia now, isn't it? It's not the FFA, it's just the FA. But they, yeah, they have a lot the APL to... APL included, I don't know. Yeah, they have a lot to answer for here as well because it's their, they run the game in this country and... Clearly, we're not bringing through the players that we need to be or should be. And, you know, given our footballing economy compared to some of these other countries in Asia, mm, disappointing. It is disappointing for that. <clears throat> There's been a, a, you know, wild chat for years and years about the costs, the prohibitive costs of young players being able to play at junior clubs in MPL teams, you know, extending beyond $800 up to $1,000, anywhere up to $3,000. And that is absolutely going to you know put up a you know a, a stop sign to any kind of player that doesn't have the financial means to compete and that's not going to be productive for the Socceroos in any way yeah no this um it may, this may seem like clutching at straws a bit but as a comparison this is the same conversation they're having in England right now with their cricket are they okay is that like it's a it's seen as a wealthy game um and like youngsters can't afford and young families can't afford to get their kids into the sport. Um, and here we have, I guess, it's maybe not so much like that with football here, but it def- it's definitely pricing some people out of it. 
And then I'd say it's more about what are you getting for the money you spend, the money you invest into getting your kid into football here. What are you getting back for that? Uh, the coaching doesn't seem to be there at many levels. We don't have an AIS anymore. And I don't know, it just fall, it seems to just fall apart. You need to get very lucky to get through into an A-League squad. And then if you're lucky enough, you get to run around under Arnie and um, <laughs> directionless, knock yeah. a ball about a pitch. Exactly. And try and show what you can show under, you know, absolutely no guidance. It does feel like that for junior par- like parents of junior players. Are you investing this money to subsidize old A-League players or guys that couldn't hack it who still demand $500 or $1,000 a game in the senior team? And that itself is a problem that needs to be addressed also. But, you know, is it, is it the crux of the issue? No, it's not. There's no, like you said, there's no AIS. There's no national development streamlined guidance program for, you know, the, the, in all of the states to come together to give the best players into the best program and then make them graduate into the academies of the A-League teams. It seems so simple, but we just have not done it. We do still have like a few of those rep type teams that get around um i'm not completely across this but you know they're um if they do still exist those type types of things they've always been like a pay to play anyway Uh, they're not not necessarily the best players getting picked for those it's can you afford to come on this trip with us to wherever we're going sweden or bloody you know wherever in the world we're going (laughs) or the gold coast or you know there was there was uh there was stick in south australia for a little bit which is the same thing that was the interim between sassy and whatever the adelaide academies are now there's just it needs to be a coordinated you know prospect and it's, it's reflective of Australia as a whole because we don't coordinate anything nationally. Yeah, 100%. Um, I don't know if you have any... Do you have any notes on the actual game itself against Oman? Because... The actual game itself, yeah. I mean, I thought the first half we were actually really good. Yeah. And I did end up punishing myself and staying up for this. And I was really... I was, you know, I was quite satisfied with the first half. McLaren, tidy finish. Uh, I thought we were the better team, we created better opportunities, we had the ball, you know, we controlled the game in the dangerous areas. There was just, there's something about Arnie's tinkering throughout the game where he's just constantly moving players from system to system. He's introducing players off the bench, always changing the formation. It's never a like-for-like switch. And it really unsettled the team, I feel. We went from having one DM to having two DMs where you had Jago playing with... Uh, whoever was in next to him, you know, doing the double pivot that Adelaide United do. And it was just not what we needed to do at 1-0 up. And we invited pressure upon ourselves for sure. Yeah, we did. I'm not sure if you're maybe giving... I feel like you're maybe giving Arnie a little too much credit there mm. in, the, um, in those changes of shapes and the tinkering. I'm not sure how much of it is him tinkering or um, him not, not knowing what he's doing in his tinkering. And players looking directionless. I feel like it's a constant theme throughout the Socceroos lately. Just a bit of a lack of uh, really an idea of what we're doing. You know, it's very much, oh, how can we can we get this ball over the top for Duke to run onto? Or can we get it to a winger and hope that Martin Boyle's good enough to, you know, burn three defenders and put a pinpoint cross to someone? You know, it just, it's directionless. I don't like it. No, I'm with you entirely. It, do, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, 
it's exactly what you said because they try and play a possession-based football game and they try to invoke the deep-lying playmaker. But as soon as that is closed down or it goes wrong, they just hoof the ball long. And it's the same thing with the Matildas. When they're under pressure, they play the long ball into the channels and it is so predictable. And there's, you know, it's no surprise it's easy that to we're defend. getting... Yeah, exactly. There's no surprise we're getting caught undone. Yeah. Um, so I don't know about you, but I was, I was when I woke up and saw, I was pretty deflated by this result, um, knowing now we have a pretty impossible task of... Mm-hmm. I mean, when, we, when the Japan game comes around, I'm going to be up and about and I'm going to be full of confidence of that we can win it. But I just... <laughs> realistically i don't think we can and then we'd have to go through a playoff against the uae which i wouldn't be locking in as a win and if no should we win that it's uh what fifth place in south america which at the moment True. is anyone from like colombia uruguay um peru even peru, ecuador yeah. uh chile um and i just don't fancy our chances there so i was pretty annoyed at this um another man equally annoyed was uh mark bosnitz who said that Arnold should be sat if we did go it. through if we go to uh playoff. He did it. He came out and uh he pulled a Robbie Slater. He did a reverse Robbie Slater because Robbie was in you know we won't say cahoots, but he was definitely trying to wedge Anz Posicogli out of a job. And now it looks like Boss is doing the same thing. Is it the Stan Sport effect? Are we seeing broadcasters combat one another? Is that what this is? So for anyone playing along at home, we're talking about a bit of a rift between Robbie Slater, the great Premier League winning Robbie Slater, uh, elite, <laughs> elite moron of Australian football, up against <laughs> Mark Bosnich. Robbie Slater wrote a piece for, I don't know, who, who does he write for? I think it's the Sydney Morning Herald. He writes these articles where he, it, they sound like they're written by a 12-year-old. I can picture him writing, sitting at his keyboard, using his index fingers only to type i'm surprised it's not crayon and he basically just wrote this piece basically slagging off mark bosnich for saying that graham arnold should go part of robbie slater's <laughs> argument was that um when Ange's side went uh were going through playoffs to get to the world cup robbie slater never said that Ange should be sacked when in fact he did there's evidence he, of it. He did say he totally that. Did. He totally did. At this exact moment, at this exact point where he, we were just about to approach a playoffs game, he said we should change manager, but he denied it. And also in this piece, he insisted Bosnich said it's not a personal attack on Arnie, but given the difference in approach when it was Posikoglu in the same position, how could it be anything else? It just, this entire article makes no sense whatsoever, man. All of this, it comes back to what we said in last week's episode when we are talking about the Matildas and about how there's so many people in the football media in this country that will not let you criticise coaches when they need to be criticised. And I think it's fair to tie that into another reason why we're being, we're being held back. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because to be, you have to be able to constructively critique what you're seeing. And if you are beholden to media interest or you know your personal relationships with coaches or you know advisors policy advisors whatever you're not going to give a fair critique and we see that week in week out in this country and we never progress anywhere because there's never anyone to actually hold these people to account and you've got robbie slater in a national masthead i mean 
Sydney Morning Herald only in Sydney, but it's distributed nationally. Yep. Everyone sees it on Twitter. This yep. thing has been clipped out and shared many a time. This is the premier football writer basically in the country. And what are we looking at? Personal vendettas. Yep. It's all very grim. It's all very grim. Don't like it. Don't like Robbie Slater. He can get off. Um, from one current soccer manager to a former soccer manager, time for a little bit of Ange Watch. Don't stress Rangers fans. I'm going to talk about you guys too. But there was an old firm last week, Celtic, defeating Rangers 3-0 at Celtic Park to go top of the table. Um, not sure if you caught any of this or if you're around what's going on in Scotland, but yeah. I saw the first half. Don't you worry about that. It was exhilarating. Could you have asked for anything more as a Celtic fan? I just... It, the attacking football was so sublime, but it was just so simple as well in the build-up and the attacking movement. I mean, they almost replicated the same move twice, but you can't defend against it. They Angeball yep. is ticking. Angeball is definitely ticking. Um, it's a really big moment for him because when he took over the Celtic side, obviously there was all the stuff in the media, Scottish media, like, who the hell was this guy? You're joking. Like, this has to be a wind-up, all that. That nonsense from TalkSport, those guys on TalkSport that just ramble on like old dinosaurs, um, they went hard after him in the media in Scotland. They still try to, but he's got Ange Ball ticking along. And now he, lo- he lost the, the first old firm of the season. Celtic played pretty well, but uh, just weren't good enough. Um, he's come out now and absolutely obliterated Rangers to go back to top of the league, close the gap. Um, admittedly, Rangers haven't been great since they lost Gerard. Giovan Broncos has taken over and they've kind of slipped a bit. They've not been playing too well. Um, a three-all draw to Ross County the week before put Celtic in the position to be able to go top. Um, but there is so far to go yet in this. You think so? Yeah. I don't know. This game looked like there was absolute pales between both of the sides just Celtics control and dominance I understand that they were at home as well which can create a hostile environment I mean the boys were up for this in the audience no doubt but you know Rio scoring after four minutes and then scoring again to round out the second half it was just I don't know it looked like there was a clear and obvious difference in quality between the two teams it did look that way um, but I've seen enough games this year to know that it can also look the other way, where Celtic have those days as well. Or they not so much. Um, Celtic seem to play well in just about every game. It's whether or not they can they get that little bit of luck against a team that puts eleven players in the box and mm. like parks the bus. And equally, Rangers have had plenty of patches where they look unstoppable. Um, and it just seems to me like one of those ebb and flows where um, from now until the end of the season, there's still going to be plenty more twists and turns, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you make that point, and I think we, we shared the same sentiment for the Celtic-Motherwell game, where after 20, 25 minutes, Celtic, you know, edge ball was ticking, but Motherwell were tricky, and they were defending well, and they were well-organised. And then it just took a couple of moments of individual brilliance that Celtic obviously contained at the moment. And it blew the game right open and ended up 4-0 winners. Very comfortable. Yeah. Obviously, Old Firm Week has so much um, like emotion and like heat attached to it. But then 
the games after an old firm are almost just as important um, because it's it's no good coming out and obliterating your title rival and then dropping points the following game at the weekend. So Celtic had to go out and win and win big. There's a lot of talk about um, just through like uh, Scottish football media that I consume and stuff, but the idea of putting the pressure on by winning your game before the other team plays rather than playing second. So a lot of this season, Celtic have played after Rangers. So Rangers have been able to win, get the points on the board, put the pressure on. Celtic know they have to win to keep up, that kind of thing. This was the other way around. So Celtic had gone top and they were playing first Sunday night and they did what they had to do. They came out and absolutely smashed Motherwell and social media was lighting up with the Celtic fans absolutely up and about. Um, But then Rangers just showed they were, they're not going anywhere because they came out uh, just straight after the Celtic game. They played Hearts, who are third, I believe, and won five nil. So already a quick counter punch, just to just to remind everyone that this is still going to be a it's fight that goes on. down to the wire. We also still have two old firm games to go. One scheduled. There will be a second one because the Scottish League does the top half of the table split. Um, so there will be still be an old firm at Ibrox and an old firm at Celtic Park. And those games, along with um, any sort of points you drop along the way, are going to go a long way to deciding this one. Yep. It's going to be, you reckon it'll be a tussle right to the end? Could go to the last day? It'll be a tussle right to the end. That'll be cool. That'll be so cool. Do you think Ange can get over the line? And would that be the greatest achievement of any Australian in Europe? I think he can get it over the line. I think it would be... Oh, I don't really know what other Australian moments in Europe to compare it to, I guess. I guess... Swartzer, Swartzer winning a couple of uh, European Cups. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah, they're up there. But did he, did, he wasn't starting in those, though, was he? No, nah, I think he just got medals. Yeah. <laughs> he was just um, in the team. But still a good achievement. Harry Kuehl as well. Champions League yeah. at Istanbul. Um, and he, he won the PFA Young Player of the Year at one point as well. Yeah. I think... I think what's important to note about this, though, is Ange, I don't know how many managers would have won domestic titles on three different continents. Yeah, that's a great point. So we're talking about like dominance in Australia with Brisbane, then into he went to Japan and just took the piss, won the league first first season in Japan or second? I think it was second season. He kept them up first season, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sign of the times. (laughs) Second, have, yeah. you t- have you told the audience? Uh, no, they don't need to know. It's not, no, my medical history nothing, is none of their nothing. business. Yeah. He's fine. Yeah. He's fine. No, my, my health record, nothing. It's just COVID. doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Then going to Japan and winning it. And then so going to Scotland and winning on the back of Celtic winning nine in a row and then Rangers smashing them to the title last year mm. uh, to bounce back with a manager no one had ever heard of over there would be huge. But yeah. It would be massive. What do you make of, there was a thing during the week, because obviously he's signed four Japanese players, and that has come up uh, recently. There's been a few questions about why would you sign four Japanese players, have four Japanese players contributed to the success of this club? And Andrew retorted, they're not Japanese players, they're four individuals. He has met many a Scottish person that does not resemble the same archetype of a Scottish person why would you say that these four Japanese people are the same people? And I thought that was a really interesting point. And, you know, that maybe ties into why there was such an underestimation of 
Postacoglu's ability coming into this division. Uh, everything you just said is correct. It did tie into that 100% because that was a lot of the attitude going around in Scotland was what, like, this guy was in the J-League, what, like Japan? And I've said it on hit this pod so many times, but who the fuck do you think you are in Scotland to be bad-mouthing Japanese football? It's Scotland, like... <laughs> Um, but you know they like to live in. Uh, they like to think they're living just on the edge of the Premier League up there. So, but they're not. And you know, someone like Ange can easily come in. And these players from Japan, that like you said, they're all different individuals. They're completely different types of players. It's just a ridiculous yeah. thing for a journalist to say. And Ange has been putting up with a lot of really stupid questions from journos, and he's been very good at, um, you know. Knocking it back Def- to the bowler. Deflecting him, yeah. Or letting exactly. it through to the keeper. Yeah. Yeah. Let that one go. Yeah. It always, it always adds a mate on the end, which implies you're a fucking cunt. <laughs> mate. No worries, mate. Do you want to talk about the FA Cup? Oh, yes. Or the Australian Cup, as it may be known. Oh, I was, oh we're talk- we, which one are you going for? I was talking about like the, uh, the Emirates FA Cup. Oh, the proper English FA Cup. Yeah, yeah let's we'll, do it. Magic we'll Cup. In, yeah, we're going to England. Um, yeah, let's do that. We might as well start with your favourite team in the world losing, Man United. Going oh, out at home. At home did they lose? Oh, you know they did. I didn't see this. I didn't yeah, see this. Yeah, you did. Yeah, it was you did. Such, such an optimal time on a Saturday morning. You wake up and you're like, <laughs> ah, what's going on here? Why are Manchester United in a penalty shootout with Middlesbrough? And why are they losing? No, it was... Um, it was great to see Johnny House and Sol Bamba and uh, Lee Peltier return to Old Trafford and, you know, work their magic once again. It was a terrific start to a Saturday. Yeah, that's you know? exactly. Um, How could you ask for anything more? And, you know, if you're, if you're a United fan listening to this and thinking, why are you just slagging Man United? That's not fair. We've put out the invite many a time for a Man United fan to reach out to us and come on. We are open to a Man United fan coming on this podcast and defending your team, we'll let you talk about United. We'll let you say what you want about them, you know. But if you're not here, we're going to take every opportunity to slag your shit results. It sounds like to me that they're scared to come on because they know whatever they try and justify, we're going to rip them apart. There's yeah. no, how could you not beat Middlesbrough of all teams? No Riley McGree. <laughs> no Riley McGree. Um, at home as well, missing a penalty. Ronaldo, what are you doing, man? Ronaldo, what are you doing? He must be finished. Oh, you're burying finished. him. He's buried. No, he's not. He's not buried. But uh, yeah, just a, a huge result for Borough. Yeah, brilliant to see, man. There was so much magic of the cup over this round. Lots of Championship, League One, and beyond teams knocking out sides above them. I just there was a couple of moments that I linked to you before. Uh, obviously. Sol Bamba involved in this game, uh, scoring a penalty uh, to knock out Mank Red a year after he beat Cancer, which is one of the greater moments I think you could find uh, in modern football at the moment. Especially, with, you know, we had Ericsson join Brentford during the week. He's recovered from a crazy situation. Same with Sol Bamba. This guy deserves everything. He deserves every positive move that comes beyond him. And it was so good to see him score in this and they win. Yeah, it really was. Um, I'll just read out his post, if you don't mind. Um, Sol Bamba, where did he post this on? Is this Twitter? It's Twitter, I think. Twitter. Hey, everyone. Just a quick message to inform you that I'm now cancer-free. It is, of course, an incredibly heartwarming news for my family and I. 
We are over the moon right now. I really want to thank each and everyone that has been supporting me, whether it's been with a comment or there's other tweets, I believe. <laughs> but carry on from that. There must be more. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, brilliant story. Um, just seeing his, uh, you know, it's, it is heartwarming. Seeing his smile there. This is people's lives we're talking about. Um, beating off cancer, no mean feat, and then coming back and playing professional football and um, have, playing a vital role at Old Trafford of all places as well. Yeah, we do forget that sometimes that these guys are individuals. They're like human beings and they're always tackling whatever personal demons they're fighting. And for something as like apparent, as present as cancer, as Sol Bamba dealt with it in the media, it's brilliant. It's so good to see. Chelsea Plymouth. Did you catch this one? I caught the first goal scorer for Plymouth and that took me by such surprise. <laughs> I mean, are you going to lead this in? Uh, well, oh, I can if you want, but uh, old mate uh, Gillespie, first name unbeknownst to me right now. But I think it's Mutai or some shit. Mark? I don't know. <laughs> Matthew? I'll who go cares? with Mark. I'm going to go with Mark. I don't care. He couldn't score against Adelaide United. Who cares? No. He couldn't score against a lot of teams in the A-League. Played for Brisbane Raw for a while. And now here he is just popping goals in at Old Trafford against Chelsea. Old Trafford. Stanford Bridge even. <laughs> Who cares? It's all plastic, commercialized shit. Who cares? No, they're they're both really good stadiums, and I appreciate both football clubs. But this was a really good finish, and, you know, it just illustrates that, obviously, the A-League is of a higher quality than the Premier League, and you can't dispute that. It is undisputable. Everyone forget everything we said at the start of the episode about Australian football, and just think of Gillespie scoring for Plymouth at... Stanford Bridge, not Old Trafford. Stanford Bridge. Stanford Bridge. Um, this it was a good goal. Yeah, it was a good goal, and this was an excellent game. Actually, Plymouth were just not. Uh, yeah, the stats would suggest they just sat there and took it because uh, Chelsea did have a lot of the ball, as expected. It's a League One opposition. Um, they're not excellent in League One either, Plymouth right now. But um, Chelsea smashed the post like five hundred times, um, and they just. Just a good battle right to the end. And it went on all the way through to extra time. Yep. There was a few games that went to extra time. Uh, we saw Kidderminster Harriers almost, yep. almost knock off West Ham. You could not have a more FIFA result than 90 plus one equalizer, 120 minutes plus one winner. Yeah. I had this game on as well, side by side with the Chelsea game. And it was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking because obviously you want to see the big underdog story with Kidderminster, uh, non-league, I believe. Yeah, non-league, like seventh tier <laughs> up against the massive West Ham. West Ham they are, are massive, so massive. Right? Oh, yeah, they're massive. Um, they got out of jail. Declan Rice scoring the equalizer late in normal time um, and then snatching the win in extra time very late as well. It was heartbreaking for them, but, you know. What did you make of the uh, the Moyes post celebration with the uh, the opposition managers? It's nice of him to go into the into the change rooms, say hello, and have, share a drink, share a beer. I, I believe this was a pre organized thing because the commentators were talking about it. But um, oh, was it? Yeah, I think it's like that. Um, know. You know, you've seen you've seen the Damned United where Brian Clough gets the the glasses out for Dom Revy, uh, waiting to have a have a drink with Leeds after their big mm. cup tie. 
Um, so I think that's what that's what was going on here. They were welcoming big opposition, good a good chance for lower league coaches to maybe get a bit of insight from other managers and stuff. A great chance to connect a bit. Um, <laughs> the photo of them sitting in the office where David Moyes and his mate sitting on this little lounge where they're like sunk in. It looks like a casting couch, man. It looks like a casting couch. The coach, the Kidderminster coach is sitting behind his desk like an absolute alpha male. And then his poor assistant is sitting on what looks like he's sitting at, I don't know why he's got a desk. It's like this little tiny piece of wood that he's sitting. I don't know why he even has a desk. What's the point? What's the point? It's, it's yeah. It's what sense. does he have in his drawer, Sam? Like, what, what is he trying to record from this conversation? He's not making any notes. He doesn't have the room to write anything constructively on this tiny piece of wood, man. I'm not sure he even has a drawer. It's just like a wooden fixture. with. It's got wheels on it, though, you know? That's so good. So you can move it around. Convenient. He probably could have just moved it out of the way and just sat there having a casual conversation. But That's there we go. Thought. Why would they not sit in the chairs, wheel them around, and just have like a normal conversation with the guys in the casting lounge? No, they had to sit behind the two desks with at least 1.5 meters between them. And yeah. what did they learn, do you think? Nothing. I don't, I'd say nothing. No, nah, I think they probably just had a good old yarn. Um, would have been, it would have been good fun for Kidderminster hosting a club like West Ham. So good Dave, Moises, Dave Moises is just like, yeah, we are. Uh, we spend the sixth most wage of any side in the Premier League, and that's how we are successful. Can you guys copy that? Okay, shit. <laughs> Have a go at that, Borum. Uh, not Borum Wood, Kidderminster. <laughs> I got Borum Wood on the mind. We got, we got Borum Wood on the mind. 1,400 away fans. Mind. Yeah, 1,400 away fans at Bournemouth. This is this is a big result. Borum Wood, not quite league, the level below League 2. I believe they are fifth tier, yeah, fifth tier. So the level national. below League Two, National League. Um, this is the ground. Boromwood is where Arsenal play a lot of their preseason games and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they went to Bournemouth, the Cherries, and they fucking knocked them off. They beat them comprehensively. It almost like Bournemouth didn't have a go. And just this is the true magic of the cup. I've been skeptical of the cup in the past, probably because Leeds don't know what the cup is beyond the fourth round. But this is what it is. You you take fourteen hundred people away, uh, you know, to uh, uh, you know, not a divisional rival, someone way up, someone way up, so totally out of your stratosphere, man. And you put on such a performance that you beat them. You'll never forget this moment. And for Boreham Woods fans and traveling fans, it was just that image of them celebrating with the team was just brilliant. That's that's why the FA Cup exists. Yep, those are the scenes you live for as a football fan. The away days. Oh, man. Next one, Nottingham Forest and uh, Leicester. What have we got going on here? What's going on with Leicester? What's going on with Notts Forest? Bloody hell. Yeah. Where do we start? Notts Forest, man. You know, they've knocked out the last two winners of the FA Cup in the previous two rounds. Obviously, Leicester won it last season. Arsenal the season before. Nottingham Forest, proper giant killers right now, man. And... How? Through set pieces, pretty much predominantly. <laughs> yep. They, I don't know. They put four away, though. Um, they did. Three Brennan, set pieces. Brendan Rogers must be tearing his hair out, though. Um, what's left? What's left of it? He would be tearing it out over this. Um, they're meant to be a Champions League challenging Premier League side. 
I think so. Who, who would be looking to something like the FA Cup as an opportunity to win silverware. Hell yeah. Um, and so to get knocked out, like, this isn't like, um, you know, I was going to use the excuse for Bournemouth that Bournemouth are very much focused on getting promoted. And so it's got a bit of a, bit of a tanking feel to it. But this one for Leicester, they would have surely had eyes on going deep into this tournament. But Forrest are on the absolute march. Yep. No, they look legit. And it's funny because their championship form doesn't really correspond to it. But in these cup competitions, they are really performing well above their expectation. And, you know, there was, uh, there was a controversial moment on the field. I guess we call it controversial, maybe criminal, criminal moment on the field. Criminal. It's a criminal moment. Joe Worrell scores a really nice header, gives it to the Leicester fans. They start to circle around the rest of the pitch and one guy takes it upon himself to try and fight the entire team. One absolute moron. Um, Do you reckon so- moron or he looks unhinged? Like he does not look like a normal person. Well, either way, I just wish the players were allowed to just go ham on him. It would be really hard to like restrain yourself from doing that. Imagine some guy ran on the field and wants to throw hands. You're just like, okay, this is an invitation to do so, right? Like when we saw that, we saw that Birmingham fan run out and hit Jack, Jack Grealish. Grealish, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know where these, I don't know how these people end up thinking this is something you should do in like anywhere in society, out in the street, in a bar, in a club, let alone at a football game. Like, they're professional footballers. Like, if they were allowed to, they would kick your ass just through athleticism alone. <laughs> and this guy is some <laughs> overweight. <laughs> bloody nuffy total nuffy nuffy total nuffy deciding to run out there and just throw punches at footballers like get off man get out get off yeah has there been it looks like there's almost a rise in this anti-crowd antagonism post lockdown from covid i mean i have excused fans throwing things on the field previously but this obviously is right draw the line you can't run on the field and punch a player (laughs) Okay, so launching bottles from the top, fine. Running on the field, fine. punching a player, not fine. Not fine. Yeah, that's, that's the line. We know where the line is. That's the night shift football fucking commandments. I've got a run out of FA Cup chat, unless you've got something else. No, I think that's it. I covered all of it. That was Lovely. good. It was a good cup, man. It was a good cup. It was a good round of cup games. Um, I want to cast it across to Syria, if you don't Get mind. It. I like because it. there was a Davi de la Maronina this week, Ooh, which would pronounced. be Internazionale versus AC Milan. Uh, Milan, 2-1 winners over Inter after playing about five minutes of football for the entire game. Unreal. Uh, I don't know if you caught any of this, but just the Italian league race right now is well and truly on. This leaves Inter one point ahead of both Napoli and AC with Juventus bringing up fourth. It's Bunta. It's totally Bunta. And you and I a couple of months ago said, could Juve actually rejoin the title race? Yeah, it looks like maybe they can at the moment. But if we're talking about just this game, the W Italia, brilliant game. Um, Giroud, head and shoulders, a striker that is still at the peak of his powers. And you can't argue with that whatsoever. Can I just uh, not David Italia because that's Inter v Juve. That's Inter Juve. Yep. Sorry, my bad. Uh, Correct me. What was it? Uh, Della Maronina. I can't pronounce that. There we'll you just go. we'll go with what Sam says. We'll go with Milan Derby. Milan Derby. There we go. 
That's that's um, for all the doggies out there. Yeah, but yeah, uh, Juve are still like they're like eight points off into at the moment, but they, you know, they brought in some really good players. Brought in Vlahovic from Fiorentina, so they're going to be right in the mix, I think. Throughout he the scored course as well, this. didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, so they they're gonna, you know, they're gonna have a word to say in the title, no matter what, when they play against these other three sides. Napoli, I think, are good enough uh, if they stay completely fit and don't have issues with injuries or COVID. I don't think Milan are good enough to sustain uh, a long run of form that they would need to win the title. And Inter, for me, still look like the favourites because they're just too good. And if they had a little bit more luck yesterday, they would have won comfortably. Mm. Um, They were completely dominant for 75 minutes of this game. Milan had the odd chance here and there, but nothing too clear. I was just, I was getting furious. I was ready to throw things at my TV watching them. Um, you know, when you watch a team, just kind of the Socceroos do it, where they're moving the ball so slowly and each player has like three touches before they pass it again. Mm-hmm. And it just slows everything down. That's what it was like. But into, I don't know, they're just, this, this team is really good and they probably deserve to win this. Maybe a draw, maybe, I don't know. But they, they probably deserve to win on the balance of the game. And two moments of, uh, well, one moment of sheer luck and one moment of brilliance from Olivier Giroud got yeah, Milan the points. The yeah. It was, it, no, it was good to watch. It was good to watch. I mean, given that Inter still have the ascendancy in the league, that's, you know, that's obviously a plus for this team. And you, you're going to do well to run them down at this point, given you they are eight points behind, like you said. But, you know, the, the second Giroud goal, the touch between the legs to beat the defender is just sublime. That is a goal to stand the test of time. That's exactly what you want to see from your center forward. Yeah. It's probably, it doesn't look good for Handanovic, the interkeeper and captain, champion, uh, league winning captain. Um, he gets a hand to us, not his best ever. He's a very good keeper, but is perhaps just on his way out a little bit. They've got a new keeper coming in next year who they're expecting to give the number one spot to. Um, but that is just classic Giroud in the box when he gets half a chance, uh, just creating the yard, turning the bit. He's a very smart footballer who, over his career, I don't think has really had it all his own way a lot. Um, he's had to work very hard because he's not incredibly gifted, but he just... He pulls out these moments. Um, his intelligence takes him a long way. And he had overall, he had a pretty poor game yesterday until those moments. Um, so good on him. Yeah, good on him. It was um, it was fun to watch. And I mean, right up to the end where Teo Hernandez somehow got himself sent off. I, I don't know. I don't know. He's obviously lashed out at the attacker and it's a professional foul. But is it a red card? I yeah, I'm so I was, saying, convinced. I was saying to you before we recorded, um, if you think of the Chiellini tackle on Saka at the Euros in the final, kind of like that, but a slide tackle, but not, not a full-blooded slide in no, through him. He just hits uh, his foot. Yeah. He goes to ground and deliberately taps his foot so he like to trip him up um, to stop into going on the break. Is it a red or is it a yellow? I think it's a yellow. I just, I, we've seen so many examples of it being a yellow card previously. Given that he's, you know, called it a red card and he sent him off, it's probably irrespective of the result. So maybe that played on his mind a little bit. But yeah. my question to you is do you think we should be sending players off for that kind of thing? 
I think so. I think it's it's um it's not like the old oh he's just like a bit of a tug of the shirt. It's so cynical that it's like he's so far away from him. He's not within arm's reach, so he has to go in and slide behind and just trip him up blatantly. He's miles away from the ball. I, I just think it's so cynical that it just really falls into a um, a really bad. I know I know they're not rules, but like spirit of the game type shit. Mm, you know, it's it's, it's 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 bad. It's really bad. But I'm, I'm happy he did it. Has <laughs> it worked out in the end? The free kick was yeah. okay, but the I'm bench fucking, was alive. I'm happy Chiellini did it too. <laughs> of course you are. Of I, what is interesting, though, I think, is that there are a few defenders in the way before goal. Oh, many. Like, Even a, attackers. There, yeah. You know, there's still three, four players in front of Dumfries as he runs off with the ball that are there to stop him getting to goal. Um, whereas Chiellini on Saka is like, Saka's off, he's in, he's scoring. He's scoring, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to call one and not the other, but I'm kind of with you as well. I think maybe we should be calling those kind of things direct fouls or introducing the sin bin that looks like a sin bin foul to me yeah yeah i i don't think that'll ever happen soccer but I, it's definitely worth it's definitely worth a conversation a sin bin yeah. type thing you know for the for cynical things like that for sure yep yeah otherwise good game i enjoyed watching it we might uh maybe we'll wrap it there for this week um, we'll do a point one episode. We'll talk about Adelaide United. We'll talk about the FFA Cup final, which was a cracker. Uh, tune into that. Otherwise, see you next week. Sayonara. Bye.